VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Lawrence Delalio, Sumo Likishi Dezu. Lawrence Delalio is a sumo wrestler. He's got the fill for it. This is The Ruck, the rugby podcast from The Times. I'm Lawrence Delalio, and joining me all the way from Japan are The Times' top team of Owen Slot and Stephen Jones. Gentlemen, it's been quite a build-up to the start of the tournament. You're finally out in Japan. Jonesy, if I can start with you. Konnichiwa, my friend. What's it been like out there in the first few days? It's been wonderful. They're just a blizzard of, of things on the brain, really. Um, just to go around Tokyo when you don't know the city... Is staggeringly difficult, but actually a, a bit of fun and a bit dangerous. So far, uh, I think there was 24 in the press call when we started. Only 19 are still going. The, seven, the next, uh, the other five we haven't seen for 48 hours. So uh, it is difficult to get round. But um, the atmosphere here is tremendous. The people are clearly cl- uh, clued into it and know it's going on. Uh, the numbers in terms of commercially uh, of commercial are just off the scale. So it's fun. I'm missing Slotty, though. He's in another end of the country, and I'm finding it difficult to cope without him. I was just going to say, so, so Jonesy, you're in Tokyo, I'm assuming, and, uh, and Owen, um, you're somewhere completely different, maybe in the north part of the island? Lawrence, I had a couple of days with Jonesy in Tokyo, and then, then we parted, uh, sadly. So I've gone to, to-, to Sapporo in the North Island, uh, where England are um, preparing for their opening game against Tonga on Sunday so uh so, so I'm up here it's a it's a bit colder it's not very good for my tan actually um <laughs> but I did go for a run down the river yesterday and and uh I, I got back in one piece and uh have, have any of you sort of uh, caught up with I mean Owen have you managed to catch up with uh, some of the teams as they as they build up towards their opening games I've seen the All Blacks I've seen Steve Hansen talking out the side of his mouth like he always does I've seen um <laughs> I've seen uh, Japan, which is hilarious because you go to a, a Japan press conference and, and there's normally about two, sort of uh, uh, two hilarious questions to one rugby question. So like, you know, what what hairstyle are you sporting today and, 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 um, and, and why have you chosen that before before someone asks, uh, you know, how's your spin pass? Um, <laughs> Do they ask you what the emoji of the day is or something? I mean, it's... Well, I mean, they, they, it's, they, I mean, that's part of the charm of this whole thing, I suppose, is it's, it's just different culturally. I mean, I know that's a sort of statement of the obvious, but it's just very different culturally to what we're used to. And um, uh, in these big official press conferences now, there's always a, a Japanese translator. And I, I was with the um, uh, Australians today and Michael Checker was saying something and then it was being translated. And after about two sentences translation, he turned around to this translator and he said, he said, thanks for that, because I think you understand me better than I understand myself. <laughs> Jonesy, for you, you're in Tokyo. You know, who, who have you bumped into? Oh, well, I'm speaking to you from the team hotel of the Russians. And uh, you wouldn't call them a minnow because they all look about six foot ten. It is amazing these days, you know, you think, oh, Russians, they'd all be sort of, uh, well, almost typical Soviets from the Soviet era would be, uh, no smiling, um, you know, dressed in dowdy old tracksuits, but they look, they look like a, a professional rugby team, just like all the others. They're very outgoing, uh, very easy. Um, some of them speak good English because uh, they got well, they got two sail sharks players for a start. But um, where you do think um, they might struggle in the first game, Lawrence, is they're big blokes and they're chunky blokes, and it's a very very hot atmosphere here, very humid. And they'll be up against a smaller, but I think probably vastly fitter and faster team. So I think it'll be, um, uh, from what I see, the, the Russians working on the fight. They're big lads, but I think they'll be really up against it and possibly really blowing in the last, say, 20 minutes. So that's where the game we won and lost. But they're great guys. They're absolutely delighted to be here. Most of them are from Russian domestic rugby, all bar two or three. So it'll be fascinating to see how they get on, but they're, they're, they're just loving it. 
Listen, we're going to get on to the opening game, but uh, must just touch on the breaking news, I guess, the Rob Howley sort of betting incident. We're going to talk to our very own Steve James from the time shortly, and I'm sure he'll probably have uh, hopefully the inside track or a little bit more information. But uh, just from from your point of view, uh, Jonesy, just just your take on it. It's obviously very sad for the player himself um, or the coach who's now back in Bridgend, but um, it's big, been big, big news over here. Yeah, it has. And, and look, we, we know, Lawrence, um, from, from other sports, from cricket, etc., how um, the, the activities of bookmakers and people betting, I mean, no one's saying that uh, Rob was, is within a legal bookmaker, by the way, uh, can cause such grief. And first of all, um, you think uh, with Rob, if it's proven guilty and if he did um, uh, make bets on rugby games, which is, which is illegal... Um, you know what, 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 a, what a silly, stupid thing to do. Um, and uh, before the tournament, they were all warned. It's not just coaches, it's players, it's medical staff, it's uh, the you know even the groundsmen. They they're not allowed to make bets either. But on the other hand, um, anyone who thinks that Rob Howley is some sort of big, high-rolling uh, crook uh, is way off the mark. You you know him well from your wasp days. Yeah. He's an absolutely fantastic guy. He's quiet. He's modest. He's, if it's proven, he's made a, he's made a huge error. If I know Rob, it won't be in terms of tens of thousands of pounds. It'll be a bet here and there. But on the other hand, um, I, I've got total uh, not total sympathy, but I've got a lot of sympathy for the guy, uh, and he's messed up uh, what could have been the the peak of his career. Owen, oh, do, do you think it begs the question that you know we know that the um, that clearly if you're a player, a coach, uh, someone who's associated with the game, that you're not allowed to uh, to place bets on on your own sport. But probably highlights to, to everyone um, at the front end that we just need to remind people of this all the time. And and uh, maybe sadly for for Rob, um, you know, him being sent home will be a, a very clear reminder to everyone, um, you know, what what is allowed and what's not allowed. Yeah, com- com- completely agree. Um, we-, we-, we don't know what he's done, but 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 I I think that the, the most people, Jonesy said himself, suspects that he he just placed a bet. He's not he's not trying to fix a game or or, or uh, hand over hand over information like um, some people within cricket who who've been involved in this sort of thing uh, have done. In one respect, it says we're taking this seriously. You know, it, it, it's not people. Um, just putting words to it, saying that, that we're, we're trying to cut out betting and this sort of thing. I mean, I reckon that the common man, when this has all happened, the common man will go that, that he he had a um, served a very severe sentence for what actually happened. But it just it, it does ram home that message. You know, we're taking this seriously. No betting in the sport you're involved in. Well, I'm delighted to say we're joined by Steve James of the Times. Steve, um, konnichiwa. Um, I understand you had. Um... <laughs> Quite an interesting first few hours in uh, in Japan when you when you landed. You probably did exactly what we'd all do and get get some shut eye and go straight to bed. But um, obviously, while you were asleep, <laughs> the rugby world um, decided you know that, that they had other things on their mind. Yeah, hi, Lawrence. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, bit of jet lag, so I thought I'd get some sleep. Um, just went to the toilet actually in the middle of the night and saw my phone was flashing. Yeah, not not great timing, but yeah, it's been uh, fairly eventful since then. Trying to trying to sort of catch up on everything that's happened. And if we could just sort of develop on the on the Rob Howley story, you know, chatting to um, yeah. to Jonesy and to to Slotty a little bit earlier on. I mean, you know, it, it's obviously yeah. the breaking news. Just give us your take on it, and and yeah. and more importantly, you know, what I'd like to know is is how you think it's going to affect the the Wales camp, if at all. Yeah, I mean, the first thing to say, you know. It's, it's very sad for, for Rob himself. I mean, you obviously know him very well, Lance, and played a, a lot with him. Uh, he, he's a good man, isn't he, Rob? Um, um, and we don't know the full details of, of what's happened. We don't exactly know what the allegation is. There's, you know, there's a lot of rumour out there in these days of, of social media. You know, people are very, very quick to, to jump to conclusions. So until we actually know exactly what's happened you know it's, it's hard to to pass pass real judgment something's obviously happened and you know maybe rob has has made a mistake you know he's paying a he's paying a big price for it, isn't it mm. you know, he's been he's been sent home and that in itself is embarrassing and, and humiliating for him i mean moving on to the to the second point what sort of impact it will have on the wales team i mean it'll obviously have some impact won't it because rob's been there for 11 12 years as, as warren gatlin's right hand man and I know suddenly, you know, a few days before the World Cup start, starts, he's 
he's not there. Um, you know, Stephen Jones is a, is an excellent coach, and every, everyone speaks very highly of him. I'm sure he'll come in and do a good job. But you know, he hasn't been in that group, has he? Um, and Warren Gatlin has always liked to play his rugby in a in a certain way. So it won't be easy for him to to fit in that seamlessly. I wouldn't have thought. Um, but Warren Gatlin's good in adversity, as you know, Lance. Um, so. No, I, I, I think he can get things together. I think the good thing is they've got a fair bit of time before that first game. You know, They've had time to digest this news and, and to get things sorted for Monday's game against Georgia. And I think Sam Walter made a good point in his column this morning. The Wales are, are used to sort of swapping around coaches. You know, Warren's been off to those two Lions tours and, and Rob Howley's taken over. And Sam made the point that he was actually quite surprised how well the team had sort of taken to that. And he, he expects them to do the same this week. I was going to say it probably suits them now that their match uh, is not until after the weekend, so they can just you know allow the the rugby to yeah. kick off and just take stock and and watch yeah. everyone else play and, yeah. and and hopefully I'm sure as as we all expect as soon as the rugby starts you know the the the, the stories will, will will be thrown up thick and fast and and there'll be more about what's happening on the pitch and and Wales can just take take stock from that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, the rugby starts tomorrow, isn't it, Japan? Prime Russia here in, in Tokyo, and you're right. You know the focus then will turn turn to the rugby. That, that's the thing. This week there hasn't been any rugby. You know this has been a huge story, and everyone's been been all over it. Um, and Sam made another good point. You know these first couple of days would have been the hardest because you know, there's another press conference today when Robin Bride, the, the forwards coach, and Reese Patchell were, were put up. You know, and everyone's asking them about Rob Howley. You know that they want to talk about Georgia, and everyone's asking about Rob Howley. So. Yeah, the first few days are going to be the most difficult. But as you say, you know, once the rugby starts and there's some huge games this weekend, but the focus will will turn to that and it'll it'll turn away from Rob Howley in that situation. Well, gents, Slotty, Jonesy, um, you know, I'm sure that's a a pretty uh, harsh lesson for us all. We've got to set our alarm clocks and make sure that uh, that we wake up when uh, when we're supposed to. Really. First of all, I'm, I want some evidence, Lawrence, that Chamo is in Tokyo. He allegedly arrived 48 hours ago. He said before he came out that when he got there, he wanted a good night out, a good drink with the lads. We gathered in his hotel <laughs> holiday. At the time he said he'd be there, seven of us. Six hours we waited for Rip Van, uh, Rip Van James to, to, to get up. All he's done so far in 48 hours he's, he's been here is give quotes from the Sam Warburton column, which he ghosted himself this morning. And uh, some of us were expecting a much bigger impact from this experienced tourist. Uh, we thought he'd be immune to that night. And I have to say, Stephen Jones, my namesake, making an impact with Wales. Well, if he makes as big an impact as, as Steve James, Wales could easily lose to Georgia. <laughs> Where are you, Jonesy? I thought you were supposed to be in Tokyo. I haven't seen any evidence that you are. I've been in Tokyo covering press conferences, uh, finding out, uh, 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 finding ways to ground stadiums. I was at the inaugural press conference. Every day I'd look for my mate, Jamo, my mate, the man who once scored <laughs> one game at Colwyn Bay. No sign of you at all. Steve, just to clarify, uh, Jonesy's in the, in the uh, team hotel of the Russian rugby team, so uh, uh, it's probably a very nice five-star hotel knowing the Russians. That's what I was going to say, Lawrence. I mean, he's obviously in the posh hotel in, in the centre of town, and I'm in uh, a slightly less posh hotel in the, in the suburbs somewhere. It's, it's, it'll take me a long time to get there. All the hotels were allocated according to status in the rugby rugby community. <laughs> Uh, and you, yeah, exactly. Five, five star hotel, but you know, in the B and B across town, that you, you're really familiar with Well, well Jonesy, while you uh, while you finish that plate of caviar that's in front of you, um, we really appreciate your time. We know you've, you've been incredibly busy over the last uh, forty-eight hours. And, uh, don't don't forget to set your alarm clock. But th- thanks for joining us. Cheers, boys. Japan faced Russia in the opening match tomorrow night. Slotty and Jonesy have been down to the Tokyo Stadium for a taste of the atmosphere. Owen, we've come on a very long journey. And where are we? Well, the clue is the distant strains of a grass cutter out on the field. Yeah, Jonesy, we, we've just nailed it, haven't we? We've, we've been on the on the tube or the subway or the metro, whatever you want to call it, mm. the KO line. Mm. Get off at stop twenty, 
at Tobitaka Katiu. Yes. Did I pronounce that right? Yes, yes, yes. And you find your way to the uh, to the Ajinomoto Stadium, which is uh, Tokyo's main stadium, where the opening game will be tomorrow night. Yeah, exactly, and it's, it's it's got a lovely feel to it. In fact, everything we've done so far has had a lovely feel to it because people are so friendly and so lovely. And I get the impression it's going to be just a wonderful World Cup. Just a word about the stadium. This is where the opening game and the opening ceremony is, not where the final is. It it, it, it is a lovely stadium. You wouldn't call it colossal or monumental like uh, the Real Madrid stadium or like Tottenham Hotspur but it's just a ni- <laughs> it's just a nice open stadium and uh, you wouldn't want to sit in the sun here but um, it is it is nice it is nice it's got a nice feel to it it's going to be cracking here on um, Friday night tomorrow night that is uh, and, and we know that because I think if there's one thing you can be sure about that the, the local Japanese crowd are going to go really really big for this i don't know how much they'll know about what's going on uh that might sound a bit dismissive but i think i think that's probably fair enough but um the news is to don't sneeze on the tube isn't it well you did two things that are not de rigueur you sneezed on the tube and you spoke in a loud voice yeah and then it was a packed it was a packed um carriage but the next stop they all got off <laughs> scowling at you and we, we warned you about this but you shouldn't want a mask but you sneezed loudly they all jumped out the way and then they all left so we left just us in the carriage so it was an early breach of etiquette I tried bowing to them but it didn't make any difference no they just thought you were making fun of them then when you did that but um, there's been lovely stories all over the country already like 15,000 people went to watch um, the, the Welsh rugby training and then sang The Land of My Fathers. That looked amazing, uh, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, it did. I mean, for, for everyone to learn that. I mean, more people know that in Japan than they do in Wales now, I think, that, that anthem. But then there's, there's just stuff like that all over the country and people couldn't have been nicer. We get huge reactions when we use our um, full Japanese vocabulary at them, don't we? <laughs> It's alligator, isn't it? For uh, thank you. Or is it alli- alligato? <laughs> no, you're just pretending. No, now. I am. We've, no, no, you're good. You are. We got, we got on well. We get on okay. With it. I said yamata. That means see you again when you say what you say when you go to a restaurant. Yamata, uh-huh. and they they say right, fair enough. Were you good at ordering your dinner last night? No, we had to, we had one of those menus with pictures on. We had to point at it. We're not that good, but we we we, get, we go on okay. We Did they reject okay. your credit card again? No, they didn't do that. Oh, that's either. the man from the Guardian, isn't <laughs> no, it? No, the didn't. man from the Guardian can't can't get can't get a meal. Well, he can't. The problem is he doesn't realise you've got to pay a certain amount back every month. I think with, with the Guardian, <laughs> and it was it, it was fine. And um, I just it's it's warm. In fact, it's bloody hot. Um, and Lawrence. We'll be back there sitting in a the, in the nice uh, air-conditioned studio, won't he? He will. He'll have his, in his shirt sleeves. He, yeah. won't, he won't be at the front where the tough boys are. We miss you, Lawrence. Yeah, do we? That's not what you said earlier. <laughs> yeah, we do, we do miss you, Lol, and um, I hope you're uh, keeping, keeping the audience riveted back there. Well, that all sounded like it looked pretty amazing. Owen, uh, give us an idea of the, uh, of the stadium and, and what, we, what we can all expect. The stadium is... 49,500 I think so um that's pretty big not quite the new camp or anything but um uh, it'll it'll be I mean it, I think we know it will be heaving I think we know that the Japanese crowd will be very loud and passionate and I think it'll be riotous actually I also think it helps that uh, Japan will win I hope they don't win uh, by too much because I, I I suspect that Russia might be the, the the one team that that really aren't up to it I mean it's another long story, but they shouldn't really be here. But that's that, that's another corruption story we can talk about another time. Russia Russia did actually lose to Jersey in their warm up campaign. That's Jersey from the English Championship. So uh, so I think Japan will win. They'll I think they'll score a hatful of tries. And but bizarrely, that might actually be what the World Cup needs. You know, as in the host nation will go, wow, this is great, aren't we good? Well, we all remember what Japan did on that extraordinary day in Brighton in, in 2015. But I'm assuming, you know, to, to get the perfect start to the World Cup, that's exactly what we want, don't we, Jonesy? We want a, you know, a big Japanese victory and maybe that'll uh, make sure that the nations sort of uh, take note of what's going on in their own backyard. Yeah, it's funny, though, because you think a lot of the Japanese people would be sort of almost unaware of it. But they did give out the stat that something like nearly 90 percent of the of the population are aware of it and, you know, of which many would be supporting. So they, they don't get many um, Japanese national teams uh, in any sport taking place, taking part in, in massive global events. So I think they'll be 
they'll be well switched onto it any, anyway. Um, and I think that the people are still using the miracle of Brighton push this World Cup because that is something that is was just absolutely transforming over here and, and put them back on the map. But I, I think it, it is important they get off. And like Owen, I, I hope Russia don't go down by too many. But it is just worth recalling that I think they finished fourth in the qualifying. The top three teams above them in the, in the European Nations Cup were all disqualified for various reasons. Mm. Um, it was Spain who should have been here and were the best, best of the teams. But uh, not only was Spain knocked out by an absolutely disgusting performance of refereeing by a Romanian, who were the other um, likely qualifiers, but, but, which was just absolutely bizarre, but also uh, the top three teams. Um, I mean, let's put it another way. Russia are in this tournament because all the players in the qualifying were found out to be qualified to play for Russia, which the others weren't. But having said that, they're big lads with professional um, experience. Kingsley Jones, the coach, is a good lad who's seen everything and, and done everything. So I just think they might be competitive, but I think they might be lacking a little edge of fitness. And for our, uh, for our podcast listeners who perhaps don't know much about Japanese rugby, I know they went down recently to South Africa in their final warm-up game, but who are the stars on, on show that we can look out for that, that are going to sort of make a name for themselves in this World Cup? The team's led by Michael Leach, one of the, the sort of prime movers in the middle, Miracle of Brighton. Actually, Lance, it's another um, point worth making here that we, we see Miracle. It didn't come out of thin air because that winning try was nothing remotely um, um, sort of fortuitous about it. The winning try, we all remember in the left-hand corner, was absolutely brilliant bit of rugby. Uh, Leach and, um, uh, is still, they're still the key man. Their second row uh, is those two well-known Japanese, Vimpy van der Volt and James Moore in the second row. And, uh, but a lot of the power comes from Kazuki Himeno, who is the number eight and one of the great carriers. Not as big as Billy Bonapola, but, but still a great carrier. A lot of it comes from him. And Keita Inagaki, the lucid prop, is also class scrummager, maybe even the world-class scrummager. So they have got forwards and... Um, bigger forwards than normal, Michael is the key. The player that, that I think sort of might uh, stir the spirits of, of the of the watching home nation is their winger Katoro Matsushima, South African-born to Zimbabwean dad and Japanese mother, um, has spent almost all his life here, and um, uh, he's been scoring quite a lot of tries recently, so um, I think he, he, he could potentially be the, uh, the home star. Want to know how the lead singer of a death metal band has been helping the Japanese team to prepare for the big kickoff? Of course you do. Slotty's been inside the Japanese camp to find out. I'm here at the uh, Japan Hotel and I've got an exclusive interview with the interpreter to the Japanese team uh, who is unique because he, Wally... um, uh, can interpret uh, pretty darn well. He's also a uh, lead singer in a death metal band. So, so can we say a big hello to Hidenori Sato? Lovely to meet you. Nice to meet you. Give us an idea on the sort of music you like to make. We play in a death metal band, but there's like a subgenre in death metal. We play the most uh, hardcore death metal, which is called brutal death metal, and it's just intense and brutal, and yeah, it's um, might be unfamiliar for the, some of the people but um, it might sound like a noise mm-hmm. but uh, there's a you know great art in that music you need a, you know great musicianship and techniques and drums and guitars and basses and would you say it's a fairly un- un- uncompromising sound then yes uncompromising yeah, it's just brutal in your face <laughs> and I just love it and would you say that having worked under Eddie Jones for eight months back in 2015 sort of prepared you for uncompromising attitude to life yeah he's got the raging sound to it <laughs> added a bit more intense <laughs> anger <laughs> not towards Eddie <laughs> but uh, yeah how Eddie gets all filled up what do Japanese uh, make of your make of your noise uh, no the Japanese scene is very small so we toured the States uh, three times and right just big scene in um, Southeast Asia Right. Like Thailand. What Indonesia. language are you singing in? Uh, English. Okay. But nobody understands, so it doesn't really matter. Right. If I'm just uh, growling and screaming. If you, did you have any rugby reference in your in your sound? Uh, not really. <laughs> I'm trying to separate rugby with death metal. And um, uh, what are the Japan team like? It's different to Eddie Japan. 
uh, with um, Jamie Joseph, Japan. Mm-hmm. But um, so more responsibility on the players, more um, independent, and they have to think on their own feet, and they've got more, you know, yeah. Um, they have to, you know, be more professional mindset and everything. And now the players uh, fully understand what's required of them, so it's really in a good, good position to get into the first match. What was it like under Eddie? Well, it was more like um, I wouldn't say uh, controlled in a positive way, mm-hmm. and everything was just micromanaged, and the players had, knew exactly what they had to do, and from like each game from the first minute to the 80th minute. Yeah, yeah, and the schedule was more hectic. You know, everything was like for them to have the power nap. It was everything controlled. Yeah, well, he controlled when they had a power nap. Yeah, all right. It, it, that was in the schedule. Did he allow you a power nap? Uh, not really. <laughs> I only could get power nap when he was power napping. Did, did he allow you a way to go and practice your death metal? Uh, no, really? <laughs> I didn't. I, I spent time with him for almost 180 days, pretty much straight. I only had like day or two break between the camps. Did he listen to your music? I had to. But did he <laughs> listen to your music? And, uh, all the coaches watched my video and everything, but I uh, used to make fun of um, my music. Not not make fun of my music, just, uh, you know, tease. We would arrive at the next destination on the bus and he would get me to pick up the mic and, you know, there's a microphone on the bus and he goes, give, it, give the boys a scream, <laughs> wake them up and stuff like that. <laughs> um, uh, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much were the players scared of Eddie? 11. <laughs> <laughs> you're being generous there more than that <laughs> and yourself oh yeah pretty much the same well, I'm not scared it's just um, there's such a high demand for the professionalism you know all the time in hindsight I, I'm really glad that I've got to experience working with Eddie what it takes to become a true professional and you know, what it takes to achieve a goal Mm-hmm. An ultimate, like mm-hmm. extreme goal. Mm-hmm. And seriously, here in Japan, I've been in Tokyo for only 24 hours now. And you, you can see and feel rugby around on the sort of signs yeah, on, the, really. on the buildings, etc. For you, uh, as um, a rugby, someone working in rugby, a rugby fanatic, uh, Japanese, how important, how big is this World Cup for you, for you and for your country? It's really important, and there's a massive responsibility on the Japanese rugby to perform well because. Uh, I don't think the Japanese uh, rugby industry took expanded on rugby after that huge success in 2015. You know, sort of like died off a bit. And um, the Japanese culture, they tend to, you know, they love jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah. So if anything goes boom, then everyone jumps on it. And then as long as you try to sustain it by, you know, keeping more interesting attractive then uh, it'll be ingrained into Japanese like sporting culture but uh, for this uh, tournament and uh, how big it is and there's so much attention to the tournament and the sports itself it's crucial for the team to you know maybe not um, of course to achieve the goal but to play well as well, and and um for a for a translator interpreter, what um what are the hardest words to trans the hardest rugby terms to translate from uh, English its natural language into Japanese? One phrase that I struggled um, oh there are a few phrases with Eddie, like Jimmy's are pretty generous you know they just want to refer back to Eddie but um one time the players weren't really you know putting their bodies on the line and uh, they weren't being aggressive with the breakdown session so yeah. um he just screamed at them said go get your f- dancing shoes on yeah <laughs> it's, it's hard to interpret that could you yeah. could you give us go get your f-ing dance shoes on in japanese dance shoes oh. yeah, but that just doesn't make sense for the japanese guys what is it so like you know gets you just means to get serious so if you want to start dancing you know you, you might as well bring your dancing shoes on but that's just a different humor so if i if i directly translate that they go dancing shoes yeah. four. <laughs> or one time he said that the uh the next game's referee he's he's audacious and i just didn't know that word audacious and i had to ask this other coach and he goes uh, oh no i said uh sorry eddie what does audacious mean and he goes he's got his f-ing his uh, <laughs> I just didn't know how to put that into Japanese. <laughs> and the lead Jones, the defense coach, said, oh, he's just arrogant. <laughs> so I was oh, okay. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Well, brilliant insight there into the mindset of Eddie Jones and what he's got prepared for the England team. Uh, if we, we can head now straight to Alex Lowe, who's in Sapporo. Uh, Alex, 
lovely to hear from you. I understand you've been with the England camp and uh, you managed to uh, sneak in and watch them train for 20 minutes. We spent last week in, in Miyazaki, uh, England's sort of high-humidity training base, which is the same place that Eddie Jones took Japan and sort of plotted their, their 2015 campaign and that famous win against the Springboks. We then flew up yesterday to Sapporo, where we've gone from the, the heat and humidity to rain and, and cool, um, and England were training in the rain today. Um, the way it works at the World Cup is that the, the teams have to open their doors to, to the training sessions for 20 minutes. And so they usually structure their sessions so that we get to see them doing some fitness drills, uh, running up and down and lifting a few weights, uh, which is pretty much what, what we saw them doing today. And then once the doors were shut, they would have gone and done their big training session of the week before the Tonga game. It's, I, I think Eddie Jones will have had, will already know the team he wants to pick, but it's only after the big session of the week that he actually nails it down and starts telling the players. Um, and that happened today. I mean, usually you can tell from the bibs that the players are wearing who's in the starting 15 and the ones that maybe are being kept behind. I mean, if Eddie Jones knows the, the team that he's going to play, he's probably the only person because uh, certainly he's been, he's been keeping everyone guessing uh, as to what his strongest um, 15, what his strongest squad is, is likely to be. Given the way that the fixtures fall for England at this World Cup, Alex, do, do you feel he won't be pressured into putting his strongest team out in the first game? Uh, he definitely won't feel pressured. In fact, I think he's rather changed his mind on that. Um, when he came out here about a year ago on a, on a recce, he was talking then about the importance of naming his strongest team in the first game and then making a few changes for the USA game four days later. In the intervening 12 months, um, in fact, he was talking about this the other day, he, he read a book about Pep Guardiola's first season at Bayern Munich, where in the 60-game season they had Pep Guardiola only had his first, first 11 available for one of those 60 games. And I think we saw through the, the, the warm-up matches how he's, he, he's, he's training different styles of play, so different combinations. And I think he comes into the World Cup not, not necessarily with the first 15, but just with different combinations that he might want to play. So, you know, for example, Ford Farrell, Turlangi, or Farrell, Turlangi, Slade. You know, diff, different... Uh, dynamics in, in the bat line you know, and he's got a, a back three with a with a host of different options from the, the size of Cochrane Singer to the sort of the, the work rate of Jack Noll when he's fit um, so I, I think he will um, mix and match to a degree in the, in the next two mm. two matches because you know a couple of players will have to double up um, and I would expect them to be the more fringe players like a Lewis Ludlam and maybe a Rory McConaughey and then when he gets to the two crunch pool matches, Argentina and France, we'll see what what looks to be the strongest team. But actually, he could easily pick um, a, a different style of team for each of those games to, to sort of combat the the, the the style of the opposition that, that England come across. Owen, do you, do you think that's justified given the, the, the England's games get, obviously get harder and harder that he holds back you know, some of his frontline players until maybe even the Argentina game? Yeah, I think it's justified. I, I think the players themselves, well, you'd know yourself, Ron, you're just desperate to get into it, aren't you? Yeah. They've been, they'll have been here two weeks before, they, uh, before their first game. They just want to get on with it. Uh, at, at the same time, these are games that we know England should win. And if they were to sustain a big injury to a, to a frontline player, it would be uh, it would be a huge shame. But I, don't, I think you can't really protect players. You know, you can't go into World Cup playing that sort of game for too long. Yeah. Uh, I think everyone gets some part of a game before Argentina, and um, uh, and as you say, once we get there, then we'll actually really see what his team looks like. I'm just interested, Jonesy, from a uh, from a. Uh, a Billy Vernapola perspective, I, I made no secret of the fact I think he's England's most important player. Uh, he is from Tongan descent. He played all four warm-up games. I think he played every minute of all f- England's four warm-up games. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if Eddie Jones just says, well, you're OK, actually. I don't want to risk losing you in this first game and, and maybe sit down and, and, uh, and, and just mix and match the team a little bit. I think that's a very fair point as far as Billy goes along because he is he is head and shoulders above and, and the, one of the great carriers and and a titan. But I have to say, the scenario which Alex explained so beautifully there, uh, it, which totally reflects what Eddie is going to do. If they should go into uh, the Argentinian game, maybe even the French game, and it's the first time that their top team has played together forever, and if they lose that, then it'll be all on Eddie's head. Because whatever happened to 
building a team, building a first team with confidence and with its with its with its rhythm and, and, and understanding the player next to you. It's not very well saying we'll play combinations, we'll play ten, twelve, thirteen, but ten, twelve, thirteen exists with the nine and with the fifteen and with their wings and, and, and with the number eight. And he he is requiredly rewriting the whole history of preparation in which you, you, you try and work out what your first team is. Yeah. Now, in 2003, I'm sure they hate being reminded of that, when England won the World Cup, we knew what the first team was a year before. At least we knew what 14 of them were. And Eddie has done it totally different. And I only hope for his sake that he's got it right because it could be described as a total incoherence. Well, I say Eddie Jones is the only man who knows the England first team. I'm sure, Alex, we, we've given you long enough on the ground now in Japan. You know, I'm pretty sure you must have a fairly clear insight. You mentioned Billy there. I think he's likely to start. The main reason for that is that Mark Wilson has been struggling with a knee injury since the Italy game and was really only declared fully fit earlier today. And I'm just not sure that's enough time uh, for him to play in this game. I just, so I suspect that Billy... Funapola will start this game and then maybe sit out the USA game with, with Mark Wilson playing number eight against the USA and maybe Lewis Ludlam doubling up so they don't have to run Curry and Underhill for two full matches um, together. Um, we, we, saw, we, we spoke to, to Scott Weidmantle earlier this week, the attack coach, and he, he does a lot of work uh, through World Rugby with, with Pacific Island Nations. He, he, runs a, he works on this Pacific Combine that they have, which is to try and give promising players Get, get them a contract in, in, in the USA or in New Zealand, might attend, even in Spain. And, and it, we were talking about the, the style of, of rugby they like to play. And, of course, the Tongans are known for their physicality. And he talked a lot about how England, England's plan, uh, which I think will mirror what New Zealand did against Tonga um, the other week where they put 90-odd points on them, is to, is to avoid contact um, and to keep the ball moving. And joining the dots, that would point towards Ford and Farrell starting together mm. Um, or with, with Henry Slade now fit, there's also an argument that he, should, he could come in at the 13 as a triple threat, you know, play who can pass, run and, and kick and get England attacking further out wide. Um, they've, got, they've got all the different playmakers available, Ford Farrell, Daly at 15 and, and Slade. So how they balance that um, will be interesting to see when they name the team in the early hours of, of Friday. But that appears to be the, the way they're going to play rather than pick all the big guys and, and take them on head first. They've, they've watched how New Zealand played against them the other week and, and I think plan to try and keep the ball alive as much as possible, play it as quickly as possible and, and that would point towards Ford and Farrell or or, or perhaps Farrell and, and Slade outside centre. Well, I, cer- I certainly agree with, the, with, with you on the, on the Slade issue. You know, he's, he obviously missed all the warm-up games through injury and there, there is one or two players in that England squad that are light on, on game time and it wouldn't be surprising if, you know, Slade's definitely one of them, if, if Eddie Jones decides to, to put him in, in the team straight away because otherwise, you know, he runs the risk of, of getting further on in the group without Slade having played a game. Owen, uh, I'm just going to ask you the question that's on everyone, on every England fan's minds. The back three, the makeup of the back three, obviously some wonderfully talented players there. Elliot Daly or Anthony Watson at fullback starting? Eddie has backed himself into a corner on this one. He's gone with Elliot Daly uh, through thick and thin. I, I thought that he should have tried Elliot Daly like two years ago, but I don't think the project's worked, but I, I don't think Eddie's. This is his. This is the the belligerent Eddie Jones. He, he he won't acknowledge that. He'll he'll stick with Elliot Daly. If he shifted Daly out, it would be acknowledgement that he'd made a mistake. So I think he goes with Daly. Um, and unfortunately, it's probably it's too late to to try and to try something else. But um, maybe they maybe they will get to that eventually. But I think Elliot Daly is the man. That he, Eddie Eddie's been with him for uh, for a year now, and he won't be doing anything else. And Jonesy, quick one on England's midfield options. Uh, a year ago, we would have said maybe Owen Farrell definitely starts at 10, Ford off the bench, um, and any one of a couple of different combinations at centre. Do you have the feeling, uh, like a lot of England fans, that we've, we're now moving towards a sort of Ford, Farrell at centre and Tuolangi combination? I, I think we are moving towards that, Lawrence. Whether we should be is a, is a, is a totally different thing because... I think through all these soft games, and let's be fair, with, with one or two exceptions, the warm-up games are soft. The first two games down here, with respect to the opposition, are, are soft. I think that they should, if they're going to play the team that they want to play against, say, the All Blacks or South Africa or even France, 
they should stick with what where Eddie finally got to and have Farrell at 10 and have Tuolagi uh, and uh, Henry Slade outside him. I think it's the ideal combination, and anything apart from that is messing about. It is a, it is a giant, a World Cup for giants, a World Cup for power. Uh, we're going to need to see that Tuolagi keeps on his form. He's had one great game in about five years. Some of, the, some, of them, some of that was not his fault, but he's had one great game, so we want another one from him very, very soon. Slade's a brilliant player. And that means that Owen Farrell has to be the ten. Just on the fullback uh, debate, I think I might be in the minority on this on this podcast. But I, England are in a position where they don't have the perfect solution. They've got Mike Brown, who's a, who's very strong under the high ball, but doesn't have the attacking game or playmaking game that he wants. Um, Anthony Watson is is a brilliant strike runner and more assured under the high ball than Elliot Daly. Elliot Daly offers England a reliable left-footed boot, a huge boot from the back and act as, a, as another playmaker coming into the line further out. And, you know, while England aren't copying New Zealand, New Zealand are, are actually playing that way this weekend. They'll have Bowden Barrett playing at fullback. Um, I think we saw in the Six Nations the way that Farrell and Slade and Daly gave England a variety of playmaking options. I mean, you have to remember that the, the Ireland game, that the number of tries that were created by Daly and, and, and Slade wider out. So while I don't think England have the perfect answer to who they want at fullback, in, in my view, Daly actually ticks more of the boxes than any of the others, and it allows Watson to, to do what he does best, which is um, he can dominate the high ball out, out on the wing, but actually he's a finisher and a strike runner. And um, in, in my view, I think Daly is, is the better of the three options. Alex, really appreciate you uh, taking the time out to, to join us, and we'll be hearing a, a lot more from you as the World Cup unfolds. Thank you very much indeed. No problem. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, if we look at the other matches on Saturday... Um, Australia, Fiji. We had Ben Ryan, of course, on the podcast recently talking up Fiji's chances. Gentlemen, can we see anything other than Australian victory here? Or do you think Ben Ryan's got a point that if there is going to be one major upset, then possibly the Fijians are, are the team to cause it? Do we see that as an upset? I think Fiji is certainly a team that, that can produce an upset. They have a record for improving through tournaments, which is very easy to explain because they spent they spend hardly any time together. They don't get a lot of chance to, to improve as a team, apart from in World Cups, where suddenly they get uh, five, six, seven, eight weeks together and they get better and better. So I think they are this of the almighty banana skin of this uh, World Cup. And I think Australia have done well to get them first when they'll still be working stuff out. Um, Fiji were beaten by Japan recently, for instance. But I think they'll be infinitely better than that. The Australia got them at the right time and the wrong time to get them is at the end of the group in three, four weeks' time which is when Wales will get them. That'll be a different match altogether. Well, there's no bigger game on Saturday. In fact, there's probably no bigger game in world rugby right now than uh, the two favourites for the competition. New Zealand, the holders, won the last two Rugby World Cups and South Africa. And that match, of course, is a huge pool game that kicks off on Saturday. Jonesy, uh, South Africa looked very settled, very uh, 
quick to name their team. Looks a very strong side, something like over 550-odd caps in that South African team. And what of New Zealand? Well, Owen, you were chatting to uh, Steve Hansen or you saw his press conference. But Jonesy, I'm going to go with you first to, to put the case forward for South Africa in this huge, huge pool clash. Obviously, there's a case, Lawrence. And as, we, as the boys just said, um, this, this uh, confusion between Barrett and Moanga at, um, at 10 and 15 which I think that it's now become a little bit like an Eddie Jones stubborn um, thing and a sort of dogmatic thing from Hansen that he's determined to push it through. That must give South Africa a, a chance. I think where New Zealand have always always beaten South Africa is that they've waited until the storm has sort of abated and just waited and to stay in the game, stay in the game, and then they've struck with, 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 by going wide and with attacking moves. It, it, South Africa is not questioned this week of their power and, and all that and their passion and their, you know, and their green jerseys. I think this week they, they've got to use their heads uh, to, to beat New Zealand. If people like Pollard and, and uh, the Candia Am in the middle, if they can marshal the defence properly and if they can cope with the pace of the New Zealand game, I think they've got a wonderful chance. And what, what a start the tournament that would be if the All Blacks lose first time up. And Owen, uh, you know, you, you were at the New Zealand press conference. It's an interesting one for Steve Hansen. He's been there, done it all many, many times over. New Zealand normally go into these sort of tournaments with a lot of expectation and a lot of pressure. Is there just that little bit of doubt in, in that camp or did you hear different from Steve Hansen? Well, there, there is doubt and that's because they've never had a, a group game like this before. They're always top seeds or thereabouts and and, and just because of the, the peculiarity of the, of the seeding process, South Africa were way down when the draw was was made. So New Zealand have never had a, a game like this before. Um, the the psychology of the game is interesting because while they both are desperate to win it, they also both know that they're going to go through even if they don't. You know, they'd have to lose to Italy if that, uh, for that not to be the case, and that's not going to happen. So it, I, th- I think it's one of those ones where they're playing for confidence, momentum, bragging rights. The players themselves are playing to to try and Im- impress the coaches so they can keep a, a foothold in, in the uh, in the, the top choice team. But it's just unusual for a number of reasons, and there are a lot of people who think that that th- this is. This is a massive first-round group game and also potentially the final. Whilst that one kicks off at 10.45 British time, the match that would have already been decided will be France-Argentina, which, of course, has huge ramifications for England in their group. That kicks off at 8.15 on Saturday morning. Jonesy... I'm not going to talk about the French in terms of being favourites because that would be wrong. But are we writing them off at our peril? Yeah, of course we are. Lawrence. What we, but what we are going to find out is whether there is any danger to England winning this, winning the pool. It's as simple as that. Now, I think both the teams, France, as you say, and Argentina, they've got the capability to upset England. Probably got the capability to beat them, but only on those days that are becoming really rare, and that is the days that they put it all together. Argentina, the sight of Argentina going backwards at a rate of knots in the scrub is terrifying and all Puma forwards must be revolving in their graves. And, and France, they really got to show themselves to be almost a complete team. None of this, or oh, half of it was good, half of it was bad and we'll try to be next time. We will not, I think we'll know on Saturday evening or you'll know back at home uh, at Saturday lunchtime if England have got any problem in this pool or not. And it wouldn't it be lovely for the sake of the tournament if one of the two teams, Argentina and France, came out and roared and, and, and really showed us something of, of true class. Because it's going to be an absolutely brilliant Saturday, but that would just about sort of top it all off. I couldn't agree more. Very, very excited for all of those games. Gents, uh, obviously the language is a huge barrier. How have you both been uh, coping with, uh, you know, just communicating with people in, in Japan, you know, or getting yourselves around? Well, we are in the communications business, but uh, I think it's fair to say that we're failing on most fronts here. Jonesy and I managed to get a train from the right place to the right place. We thought that was an absolute triumph. Well, result. I think you should. That's box ticked. There are occasions when you get in a taxi and you, you tell a driver where you want to go. You spend more time explaining and going through your phone and trying to find the, uh, the Japanese characters for him to know that. And you do actually going going to to a place. Um, I, I I think my um my vocab's uh, getting close to double figures. I'd like to challenge Jonesy on that. 
I, I reckon he's nowhere near. J- Jonesy, are you? Uh, how are you doing with that Google Maps? You just sort of get the phone out and just point <laughs> to the to the taxi driver. Just point <laughs> to Google Maps is actually w- working quite well. It, it is difficult to communicate with the Japanese, but not half as difficult as to communicate with Steve James on on this trip so far. But um, <laughs> all I say to you, Owen, is Domi u Yamata Genki Kudasi Radakita Kanabusu Goshi Sama Hai. That was very, very impressive. I have no idea what you just I said to my us. But, but, it, but in a Welsh accent, that just sounded beautiful. I was saying, Owen, it is very nice to be on this show. Do you think Lawrence is doing a good job or not? I, and I said, I think he's doing a decent job. I don't care what all the others say. <laughs> ah! Oh! And that means he's doing all right, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I thought you were in a Japanese spa <laughs> there and you turned the hot tap on. <laughs> Of course, whenever you visit a new country, it's essential to learn a bit of the local language, and the boys have been doing just that. Ah, konnichiwa, Stephen. Konnichiwa, Slotty. Genki? Uh, very well, thank you. Uh, Genki, Stephen? Very well, and like yourself. OK, so um, for the ruck, uh, Jonesy and I have been working hard on our Japanese language skills, and um, we are going to try and do a, an occasional language lesson for Ruck listeners. So I'm going to uh, kick off now uh, with uh, phrase number one. All black, kanarazu mata. The all blacks think they will win again. This is, um, I'll, I'll repeat this twice as it's quite complicated. Manu tulagi ferakala orimashta. Manu tulagi ferakala orimashta. That means... Manu Tulangi has jumped off the ferry. Phrase three. Ah, Johnny Sexton mata kega shikata yo. Oh dear, Johnny Sexton is injured again. Okay, and here's another one. Um, listen carefully. Uh, Lawrence Dalalio, sumo likishi dezu. Lawrence Dalalio, sumo likishi dezu. Lawrence Dalalio is a sumo wrestler. He's got the feel for it. It's come to that time where we need some uh, some serious predictions for the weekend. Jonesy, starting with you, give us uh, our winners over the weekend. Uh, winners on the weekend are Australia in a high-scoring game, maybe an eight-try match. Uh, South Africa, uh, not so high-scoring, but uh, throwing down a marker. And uh, in my dreams, but I hope it comes true, I think France will beat Argentina. I pray they show us enough to be a competitive team, Lawrence. Well, I'm going to wade in there with a, uh, a resounding opening day victory for the hosts as well, Japan. Uh, and Owen, can you see uh, anything different there from Jonesy? The sort of either-or game is the uh, Kiwis and the Springboks. I, I, I would just suspect that the All Blacks will win that. I think that France will grumble to an unimpressive victory over Argentina. They'll keep all expectations low and they will explode to life when they finally play England. My thanks to Owen Slott, Stephen Jones, Steve James and Alex Lowe. The Ruck returns on Monday to dissect all the action from the opening weekend at the Rugby World Cup. Make sure you never miss an episode. Subscribe now via Acast, iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.